0: overlooking phoenix from high above in the star worldwide network studios badge boys (laughs) stories insight guests and true blue humor with retired police sergeant darren birch and retired police officer jason Schechterly. brought to you by officerprivacy.com the company's officers trust with their online privacy now, here they are the badge boys welcome back to another episode of the badge boys
1: the show where two retired cops talk to the community i'm retired crime stopper sergeant darren birch i'm
2: retired Phoenix police officer jason checkerly
1: and we have another outstanding episode in fact we have a return guest he was a police officer a police training officer, a Secret Service agent, a polygraph examiner, a firearms instructor. This guy did it all with 30 years of career in the public service, Kevin Rice. He uses that experience as a cop, as an agent, and he has created three books. The latest is exceptional. It's an arresting life, incidents and accidents from three decades as a cop and Secret Service agent by Kevin Rice can't wait to talk to him because i love the book uh then we're going to go into cop talk we're going to talk about the headlines and then the last segment uh, we're going to have um loony laws heroic headlines and jason's always inspirational closing message so stay tuned stay informed
0: and we'll be right back more stories inside guests and true blue humor coming up on badge boys we'll be back right after this if you like the badge boys you'll love their books Starting with Burning Shield, the Jason Schechterly story, which Arizona Diamondbacks President Derek Hall proclaimed, Jason is an inspiration, and his story must be read and shared. The professionally written novel is a powerful biography chronicling Jason's gut-wrenching battle to health after being trapped in a fireball that consumed his police car, and his high-stakes legal showdown against the Ford Motor Company for their explodingly lethal Crown Victoria police cruisers. Then there's Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to 100 compelling and funny true crime stories that American Detectives with Lieutenant Joe Kenda producer called the perfect blend of humor, heroism, and honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's Twisted But True books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the best true crime book. And a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence, as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss, and ultimately survival. These Badge Boy books should be on everybody's top 10 reading list. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back to Badge Boys, everybody. Darren, I've been
2: looking forward to this. Uh, for a very long time. Can
3: I just uh, say one thing before you even get started? Damn, he interrupted
2: me. It took eight seconds this week. I <laughs> because it's so
3: good to have you both in studio again last oh, week. You weren't right. here. Yes. So yes. it's nice yes. to see you. It just a, saying. It was just saying. studio. Yes, yes. Was, just me yes. and the loony laws. I was going loony.
2: Well, I have, I have been looking forward to this episode for a long time for two reasons. Number one, because I canceled a few months ago. I take full responsibility because I had something come up that I was going to be out of town, and I did not want to be out of town when uh, Kevin was back on. But uh, it's been almost two years to the day since we've had uh, Kevin Rice on, and we had him on because of an incredible book that he wrote, From Sheepdog to C-Suite, that is an incredible story on how to transition from law enforcement into you know your next career I mean cops let's be realistic you're not a cop till you're 75 or 80 at some point your career ends and you have to move on and uh Kevin has done it in an incredible way and then he writes a book about it so we had him on well he wrote another book and this one uh for somebody like me this one's even better because I want to be entertained and I want to have take a walk down memory lane or, you know, I want to be like something I can relate to. Whereas, you know, obviously I'm not, I'm not going to the C-suite. So the first book, while it's awesome and I love it, uh, not much, I'm not going to be working for a Fortune 500 company, but uh, for a quick reminder for everybody, he was on season or episode, Jesus, season, we're in season three, episode 52, almost two years ago to the day. And here is a short clip from that. Kevin, I would like to, remind you, you might not know this, but six years ago tomorrow is when I saw you and we spoke together in Vegas. Absolutely. Isn't that unbelievable?
4: Jason, it is unbelievable. Jason and Darren, thank you very much for uh, inviting me, and um, congratulations on one year of successful podcasts.
2: Thank you, and thank you for being our our guest on this special anniversary. So I want to start, as I do with most of our law enforcement guests, can you tell us why you even... (laughs) put your name on the application. Why'd you even get into this <laughs> career field first? Cause I know you remember so me,
4: it. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it was an easy thing. Uh, my father was a New York city police detective. I grew up outside of uh, New York city in long Island. My dad uh, had a very storied career with NYPD and basically all of his, all of his uh, sons followed in his footsteps. I wish I was half the cop that he was, but my brothers went into law enforcement and, and uh, I did as well. I spent, uh, Epps College, spent four years as a police officer in the city of Orlando, Florida, Uh, and then had my dream come true. I spent 23 years as a special agent with the U.S. Secret Service in multiple offices and multiple assignments and got to be in three leadership positions with that agency, Uh, was hired away from the Secret Service to head another federal law enforcement agency where I managed uh, four officers and detectives in four states. And then I retired from the federal government. It's what we all uh, aspire to, right? When we first start our career, we, we see this pension in the distance and we see an opportunity to take our skills somewhere. And then I realized, even though the Secret Service had done a good job trying to prepare us for what lies after, um, I learned an awful lot. And unfortunately, I learned a lot through experience that um, we're often not as prepared as we think we are when we're ready to, ready to pull the pin and, and call it quits.
2: Uh, hopefully, uh, Kevin is sitting there going, thank God I didn't have to repeat that entire thing <laughs> from two years ago. Uh, Kevin, welcome back to Badge Boys.
4: Thank you very much, uh, Robin, uh, Jason, and Darren. Appreciate the invite as always. So, you,
2: last time we spoke, it was about the uh, your career and the first book you wrote, which is From Sheepdog to the C-Suite. What had were you already working on the second book at the time, or what spurred you on to writing sure. an arresting life?
4: So, this is actually my third book. So, uh, between the last time we spoke, I, I wrote a second book called Leadership Forewarned, and I, I basically took um, kind of officer survival, officer safety techniques that we all know, and then um, some concepts from the field of behavioral threat assessment. And I, I wrote a book for human resource specialists and and for managers to try to learn some basic survival skills in the workplace to try to prevent workplace violence. So um, I wasn't invited on the, the podcast for that book, but my third book. <laughs> it just uh, it just didn't as well. I yeah, no, I'm another, the worst friend in the world. <laughs>
1: we, yeah, we're not about leadership, buddy.
4: Yeah, yeah, apparently not. But to to answer your question, um, so. You know, I grew up with a like, a, like you heard previously, with a father who had a million stories, and I think we can all admit that cops are the best storytellers. And uh, I had a father who was, who was the greatest. And um, you know, after 30 years in law enforcement, like we all do, every, every cop, every firefighter, every emergency room nurse, you all have stories that are just too incredible. Uh, like in Darren's books, right? They're twisted but true. No one else is going to believe that they, they happen. So. I had a series of experiences that I wanted to put down on paper, and, uh, you know, during my entire life, my uh, wife has been telling me, you should write this stuff down. So finally decided to put pen to paper or or a cursor to screen and um, write a book that has some hopefully entertaining stories from both the Secret Service and from my, my time on the police department.
2: Well, I got to tell you uh, personally, I I can't thank you enough for writing this third book because for people like me, it, it is always fun to do the remember when or walk down memory lane and to hear other people's stories. We all have so many stories and why keep them to ourselves? Because they are, they're incredible. And like any good son, no matter how old you get, you have to honor your mom. And she read this book in about 48 hours and could not stop telling me how much she loved it, how funny it is. And the one thing I just talked to her last night, I said, Hey, uh, Kevin Rice can be on the show tomorrow. And she said, Oh, you got to have him tell this one story. And all she reminded me was it's why you shouldn't volunteer when you're a police trainee. So will you please <laughs> share in honor of my mom? Will you please share this story with our audience?
4: Sure. Well, uh, first of all, um, please thank your your mom for me. She, my, mine has been gone for a while, but uh, I'd love to send her a signed copy if if she would like one. But uh, the story she talks about, I think it's a lesson we've we all learned probably uh, going through a police academy or going through the military. Um, unfortunately, I'm not as smart as your average bear, so I didn't I didn't learn it until um, I had to be you know taught a hard lesson. But um, I tell a story in. Going to the police academy, my first car was a piece of crap, and it had conked out on me on the first day of the academy. And after I get a couple of paychecks under my belt, I go and I buy the first new car I've ever owned, and I'm all proud of it. And we're going about halfway through the academy, and one day our our defensive tactics instructor looks at the assembled group in the gym, and he says, uh, didn't tell us what we were going to do or anything. He just said, I need somebody to bring me a car and bring it right outside the gym. So, you know, hey, I'm Mr. Fancy Pants. I want to show off this this brand new car that I got. So, I I raise my hand like an idiot. I'm the only one who raises my hand and I um go run out to the car and bring the car out to the gym and by then the rest of my academy class has stepped outside and uh, I hear the instructor bellow, uh, today we're going to talk about vehicle extractions. And my, you know, heart fell out of my chest. <laughs> And he says, Rice, have a seat in the driver's <laughs> side. So like, like an idiot with, you know, 50 people staring at me, I take a seat in the driver's side. And he goes, roll down the window. And I roll down the window. And then he proceeded to show the assemble class about five or six very painful and uh, ingenious ways that you can remove somebody from their, from their driver's side. So needless to say, I never volunteered for, for anything after that.
2: In your own brand new car.
4: That's, a, that, car, that's what makes it I, the best. <laughs> and, of course, and of course, as he took me through the windshield of the car each time, you know, I'm scratching the the paint on the door, and I've got fifty fifty people laughing at me and and pointing at me. So, yeah, I, I haven't gotten any smarter through the years, but at least I've learned not to not to volunteer for things.
1: You know, what I love about the book is uh, what you've already alluded to that we have the best stories. In the introduction, you are right. Cops tell the best stories. I should know. my dad was a cop, a great cop. My father was a New York City patrolman and a detective. And if cops in general make the best, greatest storytellers, then NYPD cops are in the Storytelling Hall of Fame. And you're right. The the way you write this book, from the very... um, um, intro with paul harvey to um it's basically two sections your first section is the orlando police department you know you being a patrolman and the academy and and so forth and then the second section of the book the second half if you will is the uh the secret service and both are really entertaining but um i really fell in love with the patrol officer part because it's something that jason was talking to we can identify with you know we've all gone through these things uh and one of the stories i want to kind of ask you about if you could go in detail it's uh, I want to say it's like chapter six or seven is talking about when you're a training officer when you took on that responsibility and uh, <laughs> and you're kind of screwed over by your department a little bit in the sense of uh, there was a uh, someone that may not be best suited to be a p- patrolman and you're your uh, supervisor kind of gave you the, uh, you know, either a milkman or a patrolman. You, know, you some aren't suited for both sort of thing. Uh, can you tell that story as it relates to um, you giving that guy a, a second shot, and then he uh, calls in this burglar in progress that made you so <laughs> proud?
4: <laughs> so it, it happened many, many years ago, but I'm still, I can still see it in my mind's eye, and I'm still, <laughs> still laughing at it. But yeah, long story short, uh, I was not his field. Training officer, But he goes through uh, his three phases, um, gets assigned back to his first phase FTO as, for his fourth phase, and he fails out. And it was kind of unheard of to, to fail out, but uh, the department, uh, he appeals. The department gives him an option to pick any FTO on the department and go through fourth phase again. And lucky me, <laughs> he selects me to be uh, his field training officer. So in short order, uh, about the second of ten days, I realized that uh, he he is not meant to be a police officer. And and actually, my marching orders, uh, just like Darren said, my marching orders, when they assigned him to me, they said uh, if he was meant to be a milkman, document it. If he was meant to be a policeman, document it as well. So at the end of the 10 days, I I had given him a series of bad reviews, and and I tell the police department, yeah, no, we need to terminate him." And they have a meeting, and the Political decisions are made, and and they keep them. And they uh, after they let him go solo, they had him ride with this FTO squad that I was on. And I guess the thinking was he he'd always have an FTO nearby if he if he got into trouble. So it's about a week into his you know riding solo, and he's he's riding with this FTO squad, and we've been getting eat up by this burglar that kept breaking into the same business, kind of this feed store that's in downtown Orlando, a pretty major urban. City and it's got a feed store from like the 1930s in there. And there's, you know, cow food and goat food and everything else in there. And, um, we were getting eat up. A burglar was breaking into this place at least, you know, once a week. And the owner was on the phone with the chief. And, and you know, we were basically told, hey, we, we've got to find this guy. So uh, one night, you know, about a uh, little after dark, um, I hear this officer go out on the radio and he says um you know like every officer does when they've got something you know the voice becomes very quiet and he starts talking to the dispatchers and he's like uh, headquarters i've I've got a burglary in progress and it's at this feed store and i'm like son of a gun here he is this guy that i I said was never going to be a good cop and he's going to catch this freaking burglar so he he starts doing a really nice job he starts setting up a cordon. he puts officers in you know these four locations around the business. he calls for helicopter, he calls for canine and as I'm one of the officers setting up on the perimeter, I'm like, Damn, maybe I was wrong he He might be more squared away than i I thought and he he's talking real low to headquarters, and I can hear a canine coming from the other side of the city and uh he's doing a really bang up job, and I'm like. I am going to be so embarrassed this guy's you know going to be the next chief of police (laughs) and um, he's given play by play and he's he's like yeah I see these I see these two males and and they're now in the southeast corner and now I can see them. they're moving towards the northwest corner and he's given this play by play and he's sounding like a real superstar on the radio and a canine shows up and you know like every good canine he gets briefed by the by the officer the primary officer handling the call and then you hear that voice you know orlando police canine we're sending the dogs in and uh no response orlando police canine come out or we're you know putting the dogs in no response and then he takes the dog off lead and you're expecting to hear the howls of human beings getting bitten or you're waiting to hear the canine officer screaming commands and you don't hear anything and it's just kind of like eerily quiet and everybody's just on the, on the perimeter, just kind of looking at each other, and then uh, I don't know it's a very small feed store about two minutes later, I see the canine officer coming out and he leashes up the dog. He takes the dog, puts him in the back seat, drives off, just shaking his head, doesn't tell anybody anything, and um, ends up being that the uh, feed store had were uh, hatching baby chicks, and they had an incubator in the back of the store, uh, basically a heat lamp. And this officer was seeing shadows of these baby chicks <laughs> along the wall. And, you know, he, he thought he'd caught a burglar. Had, uh, I don't know, we probably had 10 officers, a helicopter, canine. Uh, oh, for
2: chicken baby shadows. Baby chicken oh, shadows.
1: God.
2: You know what's funny? That guy probably is the chief of police somewhere. right? Somewhere. Now. Yeah, <laughs> some, <laughs> little some little. No,
1: town no, out. Did, he, so did he last much long after that?
4: He did. He had a full, successful career. But, uh, uh, I, had left, I had left after that, but, um, yeah, I often wonder how he did in his career.
2: How embarrassing. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Kevin, I hate to put you on the spot, but kind of have to after two years. So, last time we spoke, the world was a whole lot different. Uh, about 180 degrees worth of different. Uh, we didn't have COVID, and we didn't have this hatred and shortage in law enforcement and you uh, you know i'm not just saying this because we are talking in all my years all the people that i've come across you are one of the most genuinely kind people i've ever met i can't thank you enough for your support of me and how you've conducted yourself in your career and i i'm really anxious to hear your thoughts on what you're seeing in the world right now because you worked both sides of it you worked for a community uh, a wonderful community in Orlando you worked at the federal level and we can't mince words we have a lot of problems right now Uh, I mean people good people not putting in for the job people leaving the job people getting fired for various reasons everything that's going on right now what I mean I know your heart's got to be breaking a little bit
4: it does, and and we all know that this is the, it's the greatest career in the world, and you know it's been called the greatest show on earth, and just, you know the things that we get to see and the people that we get to help and the, the impact we have on on people, it, it really is truly, one of the greatest careers, in the world, and you're right, the world has changed unfortunately for the worse, and I don't mean this to sound, egotistical, but one of the reasons why I did write the book. Is it. I'd, I'd hope that some folks in the public who had no idea what, what real cops, you know, city police officers and sheriff's deputies and, and what Secret Service agents do on a daily basis for their community. And, you know, yeah, we can harp on the, you know, let's say it's two, three percent of people who shouldn't be police officers, who shouldn't be law enforcement officers. We can harp on those people and, you know, officers that make horrible you know decisions but when you think about it there's there is no other profession i think that gets vetted as much as we do um you know all you got to do to become a lawyer is go through three years of law school um there's no background investigation there's no polygraph you know there's no looking into your finances there's there's none of that um you know what what other profession has has uh you know, integrated into the system, internal affairs system like law enforcement does, and I think, you know, the wrong people are getting the attention because I think the vast majority of the public out there appreciates what law enforcement officers do, understand what they do. Uh, I think, unfortunately, there's a there's a tiny portion of this population that's that's in the media, in social media, you know, in political uh, positions that. Um, you know, gain traction by making that profession look bad. And, you know, the whole defund the police movement and and similar uh, groups like that, unfortunately it's causing the very people you want to be attracted to this profession to go somewhere else, right? There's people who have a servant's heart that wants to make a positive impact, and and I don't blame them. They're saying to themselves, why – do I put myself through this when I can go into, you know, private enterprise, probably make more money, um, have a have a more family-friendly schedule? Why would I want to do this? And my only hope is that, you know, we're seeing the pendulum swing way too far in one direction and that common sense and, you know, logic will prevail and start swinging that pendulum back. I hate to say it, but I think it's going to take some Something horrible, you know, to to get people shaken back into their senses that we really do have good people out there that that want to serve and want to do the right thing. But um, I know that was a very rambling answer, but it is not a perfect answer. answer.
2: That's why it It comes to your heart. That's what I wanted.
1: And it's funny because when I I absolutely 100% agree with you, Um, we are at a point, I believe where the uh, the shift has gone away from the defunding in fact even some of the bad actors the disingenuous politicians have kind of quieted down and i think because of the high you know rising crime rates and and we are in a shortage of police officers like never before all these things are i think adding to the weight against that small minority that are are the you know the the cop haters we might as well call it what it is they're just cop haters And so I think there's a paradigm shift. I really do. Um, whether I'm right, you know, God, I hope I am. Uh, that you know, but it's just a, a it's a huge boat to turn around. That's why I love what you've done with this book because you have humanized police. And I got the same kind of um, feedback when I did my book. And the more cops out there write books and show the truth. To the lies, because as you know, as every every cop out there knows, the uh, the people that were responsible for George Floyd are the few and far between. I mean, it's not it's a drop in the ocean, literally, because there is a process in place to eliminate them. And I have to look at the departments for not eliminating someone like, well, I don't say his name, but the guy responsible for George Floyd's murder. Um, right. You know, there was a process in place, and I I put the police chief on notice on things like that. Um, so. I guess my question to you is for those listening out there that want to write a book or want to tell the truth, how cathartic, how empowering, how important was this book to that end?
4: Yeah. And I said about when I, when I wrote it, um, to purposefully not try to put, uh, you know, I could tell stories that put law enforcement in a, in a bad light. I I purposely tried to, to avoid that. I, you know, if, Some bad light was going to be thrown. It was directed towards me personally, and I told myself, you know, any Secret Service stories were not going to involve any, you know, dirty laundry involving any of the people we protect. Um, So for me it was cathartic, and my goal was, you know, hopefully somebody in the public reads it, somebody who's aspiring to be a law enforcement officer reads it, sees the good, sees the humor, sees the, the humanity in the profession that, you know, all of us chose. And decides to to give it a second shot because, like you said, man, we are in we are in need of some really good people in in that profession.
1: Oh, and good for you, kudos. Um, when you talk about our profession, you can't talk about it without mentioning PTSD. You, oh, and we always say PTSD is is you know an injury, it's not a right. So, with that having been said, um, in chapter seven, you write about man's inhumanity to man, and you write. You need to take a test to obtain a license to drive. You need to register to vote. And you need to undergo a hiring process to get a job. But people can become a parent without doing any of these things. As a police officer, I saw bad parenting on a daily basis. But this one call rose above them all for the worst parent in Orlando. It was a chilling story. Would you mind sharing that with our listeners?
4: Yeah, sure. Um, And, you know, all of us on this call and and all the listeners have our own stories like this right so um where you just you, sh- you shake your head and you you're trying to figure out why these people had children and and why they um you know continue to raise them the way they did but long story short i was dispatched to uh, assist the fire department call and you know normally as every cop knows that you just you don't want anybody to run over the the fireman's hoses right so i didn't i didn't think anything of it and it was an apartment that had caught on on fire in a kind of a three-story apartment building and i get there and um my sergeant's there and i he says i'm going to need you to go to the hospital with with fire department and as i looked i saw a fireman walking out of the apartment building and in my head and from a distance i saw him carrying what i thought to uh, be a football and in my head i'm like well that's just weird um, and then the closer I, I looked, uh, it was a, a small child that the fireman was holding in his arms that had been uh, burnt exclusively all over all over his body. So um, I we go to the burn center, and my sergeant calls me and says, "Hey, look, when when mom shows up, you need to arrest her for for child endangerment." And the whole story, and you know, as our detectives figured it out, was mom was uh, a drug addict, had three children. You know, and I don't remember the years, but like five, three, and one. Um, but mom had left to go score some more drugs and had left all three children alone. And the oldest um, was left alone with lighters, and um, he had set the bed on fire. And the baby had been basically consumed in the in the fire. And um, mom showed up uh, about a half an hour after. Uh, we got there and the baby was already gone by that time but mom showed up i can still in my mind's eye see it the the doors open to the to the burn unit and mom came walking in with another child carrying a a mcdonald's bag and she was eating french fries as she walked into the burn unit and i just you know just the sheer audacity that she had you know um, just continuing to have children and and um just in some ways you know i write in the book um you know i don't know what your belief system is but i'm i'm hoping that that baby is you know somewhere in a much better place and didn't have to uh deal with having a mom like that for the the rest of their rest of their life
2: wow that's uh yeah that's a tough that's one, that's one of those that you, I mean, we all have we all have yeah, a, yeah we all have we at do. least one in our career. Sadly. That, yeah, it, it stays with you forever. But again, sharing that, uh, you never know who else is going to help. So, Kevin, tell us uh, where we've, you can get all three of your books if uh, for our listening audience.
4: Sure. So, of course, the easiest thing is to go to Amazon. and uh, It's Kevin A. Rice. So the first one was uh, From Sheepdog to the C-Suite. The second one is Leadership Forewarned. And then this uh, latest one is called An Arresting Life. So there's multiple, uh, every other bookseller, you know, Target, Walmart, you can get it at that. But uh, it seems Amazon has the, uh, well, they they control everything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, they run the world right there's now. Nothing, so there's nothing you can't find there.
1: That's true. You know, in, in closing, I got to ask you about um, Chapter 9. Now, I, I know I've stayed with mostly the patrol aspect because, again, the, the, this two-part book really it's your days in patrol protecting your community and then this incredible career with the secret service which would we would need five shows to cover that alone but the one question i have for you is if you could share with the audience about that transition where you kind of lead the police department you get this after quite a few years and then you have this incredible 22 year career i believe or 23 year career with the secret service or with the feds but there's a there's a um, a mutual point here where you meet the uh, uh, the woman of your dreams. Can you share uh, that intimate little snippet?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So if uh, if you're a believer in fate, then um, my wife and I say we were we were always meant to be. But uh, I tell a story in the book that she and I met. Uh, Basically, the execution of a drug search warrant. There's nothing more romantic in life than, than that. Wow. <laughs> she, she was she, she was not a suspect. Uh, she was she was a civilian drug analyst for the police department, and I was a patrolman and working a midnight shift. Uh, the drug unit was going to hit this house, and they of course needed somebody there in a marked car and marked uniform to uh, show that we were the good guys. And um, after all the the entry was made and the dust had settled, I looked across this crack house and I saw this beautiful young lady there. And um, a drug sergeant comes over to me and I asked who it was. And they, you know, every cop, you know, uh, sniffing around, you know, attractive women. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the, drug, the drug sergeant said, hey, leave her alone. Um, long story short, uh, about two weeks later, I'm still on midnights. She decided to do a civilian ride along. My sergeant uh, placed her with me for the, the shift, and we just we talked like we had been together our whole lives. We ended up breaking up not once but twice, um, didn't see each other for four or five years.
1: And, and whose fault was that, then, my friend?
4: <laughs> that was my, it was all my fault, which, which she will remind me over and over again. But um, we went our separate ways. We both you know, saw other people and all that other stuff, had no contact with each other. Um, I was now with the Secret Service, and um, an agent who I respected very much said, hey, there's an intelligence unit meeting later today. Why don't you come with me? And it's all the, the intelligence units from all the different departments in Central Florida. And I said, no, i got some stuff to do. And he's like, no, come with me. I don't want to go by myself. And I said, no, I'm, I've got a bunch of stuff. And finally he applied a bunch of peer pressure, and I said, okay, I'll go. <laughs> and um, I walked in the intelligence meeting, and my wife, my, my now wife, had left uh, her role as a drug analyst, and she was now an intelligence analyst for the PD. And um, I was so embarrassed about how I had treated her. Previously, I ignored her during the entire meeting. Um, My conscience got the better of me, and I called her to apologize. After the meeting, we began talking again, and um, this past October we celebrated 26 years of, of marriage. So it was meant to be and and she is uh, like every good uh police officer spouse smarter and more attractive and, <laughs> uh, I don't
3: know that that story like, we like, met at a crack house
2: yeah.
4: <laughs> no you can't that's hard
2: that's hard to beat that's a, that's, that's a true that's love. love that's a love story that's for love. The ages right there wow I'm,
1: I love it so on your anniversaries you go to crack houses oh jeez
4: oh <laughs> uh, well we've changed now to um yeah to heroin <laughs>
2: Oh Kevin, this has been wonderful. I can't thank you enough. I just love hearing your voice, and uh, you know I'm down to down to four states. Actually, effective tomorrow, uh, I will be because I'm going to Oklahoma City. I will be down to three states that I have not spoken in, and one of them is the great state of Maine. Which, well, I need to get you. Up uh, you know, I I know it's one of the most beautiful places in the country. On top of that, off air, you told me that you live in Maine and have a pool guy. Which <laughs> I that, I don't even want to elaborate on that. I just want to see it to understand
4: how in the world that pool guys okay. have Well, jobs my wife, my wife in- says- my wife says he's the pool guy, but he's followed us every you've ever <laughs> Oh,
2: so we're not sure. Okay. Again, not she's sure the smart one. <laughs> yeah, she's the smart one. Well, I hope uh, our paths do cross again. A uh, uh, little close to home for you. I uh, did get invited in May. I'm going to speak to the Suffolk County uh, Sheriff's Department, which will be oh, very good. outstanding, because Long Island truly is one of the most beautiful places in this country. I've only been there once, and fell in love with it i can't imagine growing up but um anyway thank you so much i truly i, I just i love you my friend i uh, honor your dad for the great career that he had and what you have done with your career and paying it forward to a lot of people like me and continuing on with these books so uh maybe again uh two years uh, in january 2024 we'll have you back on the show again and talk about something new so i can't thank you enough and i wish you a happy and safe 2022 and uh keep in touch
4: thank you very much jason darren and robin appreciate what you guys do
1: thank you thank you sir
0: we'll be right back more stories inside guests and true blue humor coming up on batch boys we'll be back right after this during these challenging days we not only need to remember our
1: many fallen heroes for their ultimate sacrifice but also honor them so their families know we've not forgotten and that's what the Arizona Fallen Hero Memorial Riders Organization is all about. Each year, the nonprofit organizes three memorial rides among the beautiful backdrop of North, South, and Central Arizona, with the proceeds going to the 100 Club of Arizona. Learn more about these fun rides and how you can honor all of Arizona's fallen heroes at ArizonaFallenHeroesMemorialRiders.org.
0: You're listening to Batch Boys. With retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back to Badge Boys,
2: everybody. Uh so much fun talking to Kevin. Really I just I really I love that guy. Good you, can, guy. you can just hear it in his voice. He's just a genuine, good-hearted individual. And uh, you know what I always say, leave the world better than you found it, leave the career better than you found it, leave your seat better than you found it. And he's done all those things and he continues. To do those things, so, and I'm
1: so glad you mentioned his dad because he, he's from a family of law enforcement. Yeah, his brothers. Yes. And so yeah you're, yeah, you're you're spot on. Yeah,
2: and he and his dad did it in in New York, which is uh, part of what I'm going to bring up. Uh, and we, a lot of times, we talk off air, Darren, uh, either leading the, up day up of the, the show or, or day at least the, the day of the show. Yeah. We talk about what's the hot topic of the week, and I can't tell you, uh, and I'm not going to fault myself for this. I guess I could, but. Over the past years, I I constantly, every week, am like, I can't get any more pissed off. I can't get any more upset about the state of the world. And then every week something happens, and I realize, Jesus, last week how I felt compares little to how I feel this week. And there was a couple incidents this week that I'm just – I'm seriously beside myself. I can't even yell and scream and and say bad words, which I know Robin's probably like, wow, what's going on right now? But that's how pissed off I am that I'm like completely uh, level-headed. And the couple things uh, first is, uh, and this is the first and foremost thing, is what happened to Brianna Kupfer a couple days ago, UCLA grad student in the store, and she even texted her friend and said, there's a guy in the store right now who's kind of creeping me out. Well, that guy stabs and kills her. This is a girl who went to school at the University of Miami, came home to go to grad school, be with her family again, working at a high-end clothing store, and she gets stabbed and murdered. And the knowing that she sent that text, the fear that she must have felt, and then... You know, a knife attack, that is up close and personal. And again, life, this is, and I always keep coming back to this. People might get tired of me saying this. The end of your life is permanent. Murder and death are permanent. It is forever. And they still, they now have identified the individual who murdered her. They have not caught him yet. And when they do, does... The DA in LA even care? I, no, he doesn't. Gascone does not care about her. What he cares about is let's not be mean to this guy. Right before this happened, and this is where I want to get your take on it because of something you said two weeks ago. A few days ago, or a few days before that, we have a woman who is thrown in front of a subway in New York City. Now, this is the part I don't, want to talk about, but the media and politicians make us have to talk about this. If a white man threw a black man in front of the subway, it would be 24 hour news cycle. It'd be all you hear about because that is what the politicians and media want to do right now is they want to divide us along racial lines, but it's only specific to them When a white person, especially a white cop, hurts or kills a black person. What nobody talks about, and this shouldn't be talked about, but they're making race even worse right now to me because it was a black man who threw an Asian woman, again, a woman who was working hard, doing wonderful things in life, threw her in front of a subway. Her life is forever ended. The next day, and this guy has already lost me. I'm not even going to say his name. Former police officer, new mayor of New York City, you know what, fuck you. And you said it two weeks ago that you liked this guy. The next day he got on his little press conference, he could have said a million things. He could have said, we're putting more cops on the subway, we're working to find the the suspect, we're gonna bring him to justice. He could have got this woman's family up there and he could have apologized, he could have said we are going to make things better for you. But no. Does he say any of those things? No. The brand new mayor, former police officer, he goes, this is a safe city. Are you you fucking kidding me? You do not get to stand in front of a camera and say that when it is not true. You do not get to just lie and hide what is going on. Last night, an 81-year-old man was assaulted right in front of the mayor's mansion. 81 years old. Someone pushed him to the ground and assaulted him. This... Crime is out of control and we are not doing anything about it. The And the only people who can do something about it is what I'm talking about. The media, the politicians, the DAs, they are still stuck in an event that happened two years ago that happened to two people. And when I say happened to two people, one was unfortunately murdered George Floyd and the person who murdered him stood trial and is going to spend the rest of his life in jail. And to discount the other 300 million people that live in this country, to discount their safety. This UCLA grad, Brianna, should not have gone to work that day and lost her life in a knife attack to somebody who has been arrested many times, somebody who has a long rap sheet, and somebody who now, these same politicians who don't wanna talk about him, are not gonna go very hard on him once he is found. I'm like shocked to my core. It, it, it's truly the twilight zone that we live in right now that we are not. This is no longer the United States of America. It is by far and away the most divided states of America that we've ever been. And I, I've said it countless times. We are we're still nowhere near the edge of the cliff. We are still nowhere near the bottom. It's going to take decades to repair this. But in the meantime, how many innocent people have to die because of the paradigm shift that took place two years ago and because people who are safe on Twitter and they're anonymous, politicians who just flat don't care about anything but votes, they don't have to worry about their safety. And then you have these DAs and the defund the police, even of – there's, I don't know if you know this, Darren, in Chicago right now, there is a pastor. And again, I shouldn't have to say this part, because of, but because of the world we live in, I do have to say this part. He's black, and he has decided to spend 100 days, 100 consecutive days on a rooftop in that frigid, cold Chicago winter. And yesterday, I think he's on day 58. I follow this guy. He's awesome. Day 58, he said, you know what? In the past 24 hours, we've had five kids shot. He's black mind you and even he said where is black lives matter where's the naacp why don't you care about kids you only care when a white cop hurts or kills a black person and that happens very very rarely so i will stop my rant now and let you weigh in on this but i especially want to hear your thoughts about mr former police officer and new mayor of new york city who has already uh, again he will never be able to repair his reputation with me from that one, a woman was murdered on the subway and he should have just stood up and been like, I don't care. Cause that's, that's basically what he said.
1: Yeah. And I don't consider that a rant whatsoever. That was actually heartfelt It's pain when Jason doesn't do an F bomb, you know, something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I got, I took away three things from that. One is the mental health of us as a society dealing with, the hate tube, as I call it. That's the news. The news, absolutely. And hate media in general, like social media. It's just, there's hate, 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 and division, division, division. And you're right. It's on a racially motivated agenda. I wish it wasn't, but as one of our guests said, they're race pimps. They're using race to divide. And why? Well, it's either monetary or it's power and basically both. So when it, talking about the hate, uh, let's talk real quick. I'm going to segue just a bit, and then I'm going to get to your mayor. I, I, we had wonderful guests called, um, oh, my gosh, I can't remember their name. Um, the Crimeholics. Oh, uh, yeah, Holly, Holly and Kenzie. And Kenzie, yeah. thank you. And I watched their posts, and I saw that they had removed somebody. And so I kind of looked up this, and what it was was a horrible, sad incident where a female p- patrol officer was responding to a check welfare of a body in the road. Do you know this story? It's so tragic, it's beyond imagination. As she's responding to this check welfare call of this body in the road, she gets there, the body is dead. The worst part, it's her son. This there is no worse Thing animal in the world than losing a child, but to be that pol- patrol officer and finding your child. I, dead I do remember and he was shot like eighteen oh, times. God. In, I mean in Louisiana, right? Uh, uh, the sad thing about this, the post that Hawks had, there was hate on her. There was people saying, "I'm glad. I hope she." This is beyond the pale. Yeah, her
2: son was murdered. Yeah, and people are, and happy, people about are it. happy
1: about because they hate Scary. cops. And Scary. so Crime the again, the bulk of that post was hating on the person that was hating on the cops so there's more good people but there's those that are listening to hate tube those are watching the hate media those are that are believing these race pimps that are are getting sucked into this ugliness to that point the mayor i saw a broadcast with him as well My take was completely different because it was a different media briefing, completely different. So I can't speak to what you saw because what you saw is what you saw. But I guarantee having done a lot of media, um, and you have too, but I was one of the PIOs on a Mm -hmm. police department. And when you say something, they're looking for their sound bite. Yeah, they their want eight their, seconds. Their, thank
2: yeah. you. He spoke the, for five minutes. They took eight seconds. You're thank right. you. You're right. And,
1: and so all the good stuff, and he could have misspoken. I don't know if he did. I don't want to try to defend him. I really don't, but I just don't know. But what I do know is that he had a press conference about the young, um, ah, I say young man, everybody's younger than me. I'm old. <laughs> uh, he was a young man who, again, these assholes, excuse my language, that push somebody into the, because this is an ongoing thing. If you mm. haven't. Figure this out um you're not watching the news and that may not be a bad thing um <laughs> people are being pushed into the subway tracks and they're dying in new york it's happening and there was a young man uh in his 30s that these kids pushed this guy into the the tracks uh yeah if we want we could be racial divided and i can say they're black but it doesn't matter bad is bad good is good and so these bad kids pushed this man into the tracks this other good samaritan because there's more of us than them this good samaritan jumped in the tracks was able to get him out and he lost his life now with the felony murder rule that was a murder obviously so when they had these kids that same mayor with a different press briefing was talking about i these da's that protect Criminals and don't file charges on resisting arrest and other charges that allow to empower criminality the empower lawlessness and he said they need to talk to the wife and The parents and he talked about that travesty of justice because it starts with lawlessness in general and that's what I saw from the mayor now this is it a tale of two cities? It could be. You could be absolutely 100% right, Jason, and he didn't misspoke, and he he was into a racial No, divide. you're probably
2: right. He probably spoke for a many, many minutes. And you and, saw, what the, and I saw what the media wanted. And saw what the media wanted, which is this is a safe city. And my, of course, instant reaction was, no, it is not right. a safe city. And it's not because I say it's not. It's the it's not. statistics of it. And I don't i've been lost on the rate we can go all the way back to george floyd i i said it then and i'll say it now i don't know what was in derek chauvin's heart at the time all i know is derek chauvin brutally murdered george floyd and he's going to prison for it which is exactly the case that was justice These, these two cases i bring up with brianna a a black man killed her, so the media is not going to talk about it. That's even worse along racial lines. But because of that, a, a black man pushed an Asian woman in front of the subway. I'm not mad at black people. I'm Thank not you. mad at homeless people. Thank I'm you. not mad at mad at bad it, people. I am mad that crime is allowed to occur in the United States at an alarming rate. And the people who can do something about it do not care about victims right now and that just makes no sense human life is so incredibly precious you are not al- you and i are not allowed to walk out of here right now and assault somebody we are not allowed to rob or steal or kill somebody there's a one of the well probably the biggest nicest malls in arizona is Two football fields from us right now. How many people are in there right now, minding their business, going shopping, living their lives on lunch break from work? You and I do not have the right to walk in there for any reason and hurt any of these people physically, verbally, emotionally. That is just the way it is. We all have a right to live our lives with a a certain regard for safety that that we have. Now, that's government's only job. I, I understand there's car accidents. That we that that's a whole nother topic. I understand the risk I'm taking tomorrow getting on an airplane. I understand a lot of these things, but the people who can do something about these kind of crimes, this young girl, I just can't fathom. It's probably because I'm a father. I can't fathom that a father right now is having to. Plan a funeral for his 23 year old daughter, and she wasn't doing anything wrong. And nobody, at the local level, meaning the district attorney Gascone, mm-hmm. all the way up to CNN and the people, the lawmakers at the federal level, they're still only talking about voting and. I hate you, and I hate you, and you're trying to undermine democracy. And, uh, I mean, for God's sakes, the other day, the President of the United States said that <laughs> he actually said that Martin Luther King's murder did not have the influence on the world that George Floyd's murder did. And I'm just like, what? dude, you, you've you literally Senile. lost. No, he actually said Senile. that, Robin. Senile. yeah it, And wow. I, if Martin Luther King was alive right now, I guarantee he would not stand for any of what is going on, and for the president of the United States to say something like that, all that says to me is, "Yeah, we could make fun of him. He is senile. He's he's ridiculous, but he doesn't care about the Briannas of this world. He does not care about the woman who was run over by a subway. And these are the and why should they care? Because they chose to be in a position of power and making a difference, and they're only hurting our country Darren it's getting worse by the day and I i mean Kevin said it in the first segment it's going to take something really big to shift the change but that really big thing is it, it's what it's going to take is one of these politicians kids to get murdered or thrown in front of a subway and then they're going to be like oh wow this or, actually happens crime or does another
3: 9-11 or another 9-11 well I, yeah,
2: you know, I, I you, but you got, again, you got to wonder because you got the vice president two weeks ago said that January sixth last year yes. was as bad as 9-11. Yes. You right. know, one person died on idiot. January 6th and I could care less about um, I forgot her day. Uh, Air Force lady. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I should know her name. But what I am upset about is. She was unarmed. I, and I've said this before, I think everybody who breached the Capitol should have been killed. Deadly force, right? When you breach the greatest sanctity of our democracy, yet deadly force is authorized. A lot of people would disagree with me. I feel 100% right in saying that. But the cop who shot her, a black cop who shot an unarmed white girl, nobody is questioning, why did you shoot her? He. It took over a year to find out his name. And... That all gets swept aside and and not worried about, okay, fine, let's not worry about that because again, I don't care that she's dead. She made her choices. Brianna going and selling furniture in l a to help pay for her doctorate degree so that she can make this world better. she did that's not a choice where you deserve to have deadly force used against you by a complete shithead, regardless of that shithead's gender or race or age. It's a bad person that it should not have been on the street. And our lawmakers do not are actively not wanting to fix this. Crime is okay to them. That's scary.
1: Yeah. With everything you said, I boil it down to two words. Division empowerment. The vision of um, the media is wanting the politicians wanting and not all politicians not all media but the bulk sadly it sounds because that the media controls the sound narrative that's going out and it's about racial division that for whatever reason and there's probably a multitude of different reasons by power brokers out there but they want to divide they want to create this division to that end in 2020 The horrible crimes that were going rampant and nobody was doing anything about it until January 6th and all of a sudden, oh, crime is a bad thing. And it was a bad thing. What happened at Capitol is a bad thing. But there was an entire summer where 2,500 officers were injured the very first weeks of the riots that took place because of BOM. And I say because of BOM, they're the ones that put on the the. I'm using air quotes protest that turned very violent very quickly, and as the world was burning, we had media people saying, you know it's peaceful for the most part. That was that ridiculous four words that they kept spewing, which is part of their agenda to allow the this the, allow this airwaves to go because they were stoking the fires literally and figuratively as it relates to this division and they did it, and it, the direct cause was this empowering lawlessness and that is where we're at today we're still paying for that and the politicians are so stupid and they're still stoking the division and not realizing that their only job their main job i should say is security and security means that this young girl should not have died it means these people that are being thrown into the uh uh, subways should not be dead but they are because there's a sense of lawlessness is okay and it goes right back 2020 in the summers where nobody was being prosecuted and they're burning cities down so i'm with you brother it's upsetting um my point on mental health sometimes is turn the shit off Turn the tube off, turn the media off, yeah. go up north like our beautiful Robin does. She goes up north and yeah. no, I agree. The my beautiful mental scenery. health
2: would be a lot better if I stopped watching. You, but you, you have to be informed. You
1: do. You, and we have to fight back. He, People exactly. like us who have a pulpit. We need to talk truth to bullshit. Yeah. People like Kevin Rice, who writes these books about humanity. Right. Every cop listening to me has a book in you. And I'm sorry I keep preaching you write the books, but seriously, get a pulpit. If you're retired. You can talk. If you're an active officer, right now you're saying, yay, Darren, yay, Jason, yay, Kevin, because we need to be their voices.
2: I saw a great, I'll leave you with this, I saw a great saying uh, the other day, and you know, for our entire lives, all of us in here, you've always heard uh, we have to accept the things we cannot change. And somebody the other day wrote, it's time to change the things we cannot accept. And that is... You know what that that sums it up right there because it is we all the good people in this country, which is the, the vast majority, majority, vast yes, majority need to stand up and say this is not acceptable and we are going to change it. And we have to start with our safety. We have to stop allowing these criminals to hurt and kill innocent people in this world. It just has to stop. That's all there is to it. We'll be right back with the third and final segment.
0: More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Badge Boys. We'll be back right after this. If you like the Badge Boys, you'll love their books. Starting with Burning Shield, the Jason Schechterly story, which Arizona Diamondbacks president, Derek Hall, proclaimed, Jason is an inspiration, and his story must be read and shared. The professionally written novel is a powerful biography chronicling Jason's gut-wrenching battle to health after being trapped in a fireball that consumed his police car and his high-stakes legal showdown against the Ford Motor Company for their explodingly lethal Crown Victoria police cruisers. Then there's Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to 100 compelling and funny true crime stories that American Detectives with Lt. Joe Kenda producer called the perfect blend of humor, heroism, and honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's twisted but true books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the best true crime book. And a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss and ultimately survival. These Badge Boy books should be on everybody's top 10 reading list. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys.
1: Welcome back, everybody. That was a rousing and really I hate to use the word enjoyable because there's nothing enjoyable about what's going on in this world. But it's enjoyable talking to Jason and having this mutual mind, mutual respect. And again, we're talking about the mayor and we're from two different perspectives, and yet we can both agree. You know, even if we agree to disagree, it, yeah. there's just, that's that's the beauty of our bl- it's brotherhood. Good to talk about it. It I is. Feel, I feel
2: better good. just having talked.
1: I hope you're Doing good listening. It is, it yeah. Is, yeah, it is therapy. Session. And so, <laughs> since you're my hero, it's always great hearing these heroic headlines from Jason.
2: Well, this week's heroic headline it kind of follows in. Uh, uh, this guy's a hero to me, but this kind of ties in with what we were talking about, and it's about not holding back. It's about s- standing up and saying, "This is not right," and. Uh, it's a Chicago police dispatcher who called out the mayor and claims that the city is a death zone. Strong words, but you know what? It, it's, it's true. It's not wrong. No. So Chicago, Illinois police dispatcher for the Chicago Police Department has apparently had enough with the violence that he has heard firsthand in his city and he is speaking out about it. The dispatcher took to social media to speak out against the city leaders And referred to the area as a death zone. Keith Thornton, a Chicago dispatcher, reached notoriety for his incredible handling the night that Chicago police officer Ella French was killed and another officer was critically injured. Now he is making news once again, this time for calling out the leadership in Chicago, specifically alleging that Chicago Police Superintendent Dave Brown lied to a community meeting when he told those in attendance that the 16th District had plenty of officers to provide safety. Guaranteed that was a lie. Thornton took to his personal Facebook page and decided to blast the city leaders in a video. This is another thing I love and why he's a hero to me. He uses his name, puts his career at risk, but then puts his face on a video. That is just purely coming from the heart and doing what he believes is right. He put uh, this video lasted almost 30 minutes on police staffing issues and the city mentality when it comes to criminal justice. He spoke specifically about the 16th district and noted that on December 23rd, nine of the 14 police units that were assigned to that area were down. More than half were down. Only had five officers and you've got... The police superintendent saying they are fully staffed. Yeah, that's a pretty. blue
1: uh, face lie.
2: It, it is. And, and the lie only goes to create more of an unsafe environment because people are going to sleep at night thinking, oh, you know, the police are out there and, and I'm safe. Uh, no, they're not out there. Thornton panned to the parking lot of the district to show the number of police cars that were just, just sitting parked and not out on patrol. He spoke of the lack of safety that the officers are feeling due to the staffing shortages and he noted that he receives several text messages about it i give you know again i I hope he doesn't get fired over this um he doesn't well uh you know i'm not in that position to say he doesn't deserve one way or the other based on policies and procedures but i am thankful that he is standing up and speaking about just it,
1: truth to the lies truth.
2: it's 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 right versus wrong and he's he's had enough and i mean i've had enough but this this person has he hears
1: it he, every he's night he's
2: more of a. he has more of as you said a pulpit than i do because not only does he listen to it every night he has to go through it that gut i mean dispatchers
1: oh god i love dispatchers.
2: they are in a very difficult spot because it, it's just their voice and the quickness of their fingers typing certain things but they are stuck inside of a room and they can't frustrating they can't truly uh get out there and help they go through a lot and i I love our dispatchers uh he went through a lot and when you listen we played it on air when ella french was murdered he handled that situation sadly so heroically even in the midst of his own like oh my gosh frustration yeah we we possibly just lost two of our officers so i give him a lot of credit and he is definitely going to get the hero of the week
1: I love it. All right, that, that's perfect. So, since you took us to the heroic, you know, um, heart of heroism, I'm going to take us to the bowels. I am with our loony Let me laws. yes yeah, these uh, some of these laws may seem absolutely ridiculous, while others may be based on cultural differences. These loony laws around the world, but they are all true and hard to believe. And uh, since you know they're true when you're traveling to some far-off distant land and you discover you've violated some law by prematurely dying in France and Britain. (laughs) It's true. You cannot die without a pre-purchased bur- burial plot in a town in France. Yep. In this town that I can't pronounce. I'll just try. Cephe in France. You cannot die within the city limits unless you already have your burial plot purchased at the local cemetery. And this is not some old archaic law. It's actually fairly new. And it has to do with the fact that the cemetery is full. So the mayor issued an ordinance in 2008 stating, quote, offenders will be severely punished. Now, um. I'm not sure how the mayor intends to punish the dead. Uh, and speaking of punishing the dead, the next living law is out of Great Britain. It is illegal to die inside the House of Parliament. Again, I'm not <laughs> sure how they will punish you just because you're dying in you know, Great Britain's House of Parliament. But, and, and why you ask? Since the building is considered a royal family palace, anyone who dies inside it must be buried with full Honours. Um, and I tell you, th- 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 that makes sense because, you know, it's much better to die, you know, with honours than it is dying penniless in the muck thrown onto a pile of dead bodies on some rickety cart. Bring out your dead!
2: <laughs> Bring out your dead! one. <laughs> no I'm not dead. What? Nothing? Here's your
0: ninepence. I'm not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. Ooh. I'm not dead he isn't well he will be soon he's very ill i'm getting better no you're not you'll be stone dead in a
3: moment i can't take him like that it's against regulations i don't want to go
0: with the car oh don't be such a baby i can't take him i feel fine well do us a favor i can't well can you hang around a couple of minutes he won't be long no i've got to go to robinson's they've lost nine today (sighs) well when's your next run thursday you think i'll go for a walk you're not
2: fooling anyone you know look
0: isn't there
2: something you can do? I feel happy. I feel happy. Ah, oh, thanks very much. Watch oh, all. See you on
1: Thursday. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Any chance to play Monty Python. <laughs> uh, and then the last loony law is... Uh, completely different it has to do with weddings i guess uh, death and weddings go which hand are like hand. funerals to yeah, yeah, some bit. of us uh it's illegal to disrupt a wedding in australia and they take this this shit per- really personal uh so when the preacher asks if anyone has any objection to the wedding in at least south australia you have to keep your mouth shut or be prepared to be fined up to ten thousand dollars and even spend two years in jail for unlawfully interrupting a wedding. And, and, you know, in a sense, I get it, because weddings uh, don't make sense, and many times you feel speaking up and saying something.
0: Weddings are kind of weird. I mean, what's the logic? It's like, well, we love each other. Why don't we pretend we have a kingdom? <laughs> we'll invite your parents' friends and my parents' friends, and we'll have a banquet. And the two kingdoms shall come together as one. And we can start our married life with a total fantasy before we go on a completely unjustified vacation. (laughs) It's strange, right? I mean, weddings started off as these crude medieval ceremonies where women, daughters, were exchanged as property. Yet over the course of centuries, they got worse. (laughs) That's why people cry at weddings. I can't believe we're still wasting money on this. Whenever I see someone crying at a wedding, I would say, don't worry, it probably won't work out.
1: (laughs) And that is our loony laws. And now my favorite part of the show, in a sense, I hate it ending, but I love Jason's inspirational closing message.
2: This week, it comes from a gentleman named Eric McCants off of LinkedIn. He's an investigative sergeant uh, with Burke County Sheriff's. He's a SWAT team member. And uh, short and sweet, he posted, if you see what others are going through, you will start to understand how small your problems are. A father dealing with the death of his child from a car wreck where he was driving, a young female battling stage four cancer, hoping to live just one more day. A man who's the only provider in his family loses his job and all of his savings. We tend to overlook how good we actually have it. Yes, we all have something we can complain about, but things are, there are plenty of people that would gladly take our place. Appreciate the positive things in life and try to keep an attitude of gratitude and what i really love is one of the commenters on that post uh told eric that he was spot on and he shared that i sadly learned this lesson firsthand with the death of my son a short time after the worst day of my life i was driving alone stopped at a red light and i began sobbing apparently i had sat a few seconds too long when the light turned green and the driver behind me gave an overly long blast of his horn i drove off turned into a sparse parking lot to compose myself and thought how lucky that driver was if that delay was the worst thing that he had to go through that day. So next time you get down or get ugly, remember there's pain beyond imagination. Be thankful for the gifts that you do have in life. Maintain your perspective and realize everybody that you encounter throughout the day, everybody is going through something the same as we are. Have some respect have love, and an attitude of gratitude is exactly spot on. Thank you all very much. Be safe. God bless,
0: and we will see you next week. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. (laughs) Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police Sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Badge Boys.